Hello and welcome to the SAP Experts Podcast. My name is Victor Hück and I'm a Solution Advisor at SAP. For me, you're going to hear about two things in the future. First, I'm going to focus on all things supply chain, but secondly, I'll also have conversations about the big picture of how technology is shaping the way we work. This conversation today belongs into the second basket, and I wanted it to kick off my episodes in the SAP Experts podcast because it ties back to my first appearance on the show, episode 31. This was a conversation from the very first weeks of the pandemic in which Alexander Greb and I discussed the impact COVID was going to have on business. And we made some very bold predictions in this episode. One of them being that remote work was here to stay. And in this episode, I will put this prediction to the test and I couldn't have chosen a better guest for that. Angelina Eveling is the founder of Acework, a consulting company zeroing in on remote work. She also has her own podcasts about remote work over at Digital Compact. So if you want to know the best practices around how to work remotely, I encourage you to go check it out. You'll find a link in the show notes. We talked about how tech was a big enabler of a society's resilience in this pandemic, but also about how tech alone is still not enough as the phenomenon of soon fatigue highlights, for example. But also we talked about how Angelina just walks to talk with her own team. So there's many things to take away from this conversation today um, about remote work and the role that technology is playing in that. So without further ado, I bring to you Angelina Ebeling. All right, Angelina, welcome to the SAP Experts Podcast. Thank you, Victor. Thanks a lot for having me. It's great that you tuned in today because you're tuning in from South Africa. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. I have been here about five months in Cape Town. Normally, I'm based in Berlin, um, but COVID times um, just make us do strange things, I suppose. So I've been here for a while. <laughs> that's great. And your team, as I heard, is distributed all around the globe. Um, so you at Acework, being a consultancy focusing on how to do remote work right and how to recruit professionals, for example, remotely, um, you also walk the talk, right? And you don't only know what the theory is about, but you really do it yourself. Can you tell us more about how this works, working with so many people across the globe, different time zones, different cultures, different places? Absolutely. Um, so I founded the company three years ago, so well before the pandemic. Um, we were always remote first, remote only. Um, we registered the company in Berlin. Um, so by law, we are a German company, but we never had a real office there. We have a, a post box, more or less, right? Um, and the rest of the team, um, some people are in Berlin. We have people in the UK, India. Um, and at the beginning, we worked with uh, someone in the US as well. Um, and there was definitely a learning curve there. So you said global company, and I think that is certainly true. We are global. We have clients from all over the globe as well. Um, but time zones are definitely um, a restriction in many ways. And I mean, SAP is a global company, right? You guys are very big, so many different time zones. For us as a smaller team, we did realize that it didn't work well at the beginning to have a six-hour difference between some people in Berlin and some people on the East Coast of the US, for example. So we had to learn and understand that for some things, we needed to work a little bit more synchronously. But generally, we've always worked towards being more asynchronous, which means that we built all of our processes and all of our structures in a way that we can document and collaborate 
in a way that, you know, someone who like switches on three hours later fully mm. understand what's been happening, right? So project management tools are very important for us, um, thinking about where and how we communicate and just how information flows across the organization. Okay. So you were actually quite ahead of the curve when the pandemic hit, right? You had made all the learnings that we had to go through uh, now being not a remote first company, but someone who yeah, was pushed into the remote working style by the pandemic. So I assume everything went smoothly then from you, for you later on. Mm, it did, and it also didn't. Um, so basically, yes, we were fully distributed before, but we were very much used to a flexible style of working, right? So everyone has um, or had their own routines, right? Some people would go to a co-working space every day of the week or two, three times a week. Some people would work mostly from home. Um, I prefer switching locations. So I love working from a coffee shop, you know, working on a presentation, for example, and then have calls in a quiet environment. So we're used to this pre-pandemic. And then with the pandemic, everyone had to go and work from home out of a sudden. So for us, we had to prepare for that. We had to professionalize our work from home setups. Um, some colleagues started building you know, like a separate office space in their living room just to make sure that they have a separate space and don't work in the space that they live in. Um, so it definitely was challenging in that regard. But in terms of our processes, yes, we were pretty much set up before the pandemic started. Um, that, that is for sure. Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, I didn't realize that, but you also relied on a certain infrastructure as a remote company, right? So those coffees, those um, co-working spaces and all, so on and so forth, that's something that you also needed to work around once they weren't available anymore. And then you start to encounter new problems, like how do you cope with your family while you're at home? Yeah, that's, that's interesting that you were also facing similar problems here. Absolutely. Yeah, we were saying that... Um, the remote work that most people were thrown into, the work from home situation, was a lockdown emergency, right? It's not what we call remote working. Um, so I think I often had to differentiate the two for a lot of people that also said like, remote work, I don't like it. You know, I work from home, my kids are there, my wife is there, like I can't focus. I'm like, yeah, I couldn't focus either. Like, that's crazy. That's not what remote work is about yeah. at all, right? Remote work is about just teams being physically distributed. That's pretty much it doesn't really matter where they are that could be across offices as well thinking of like large companies that have different office locations sap has plenty of distributed teams right you have colleagues that you work with closely that you barely see or never see yeah that's true but we're also even before the pandemic we were um not only allowed but we were encouraged to work from from home a lot of the times many of my client uh not only my clients, but many of my colleagues I only see once a month or, or once a week, every even under pre-pandemic circumstances, right? So that's interesting that at SAP, we didn't have to adapt as much. Uh, but being a global company, as you said, we had the, the infrastructure up and running also before we... Uh, before we had to move home, man. But there we encountered certain challenges as well, as you, as you mentioned rightly. But... Um, you being an expert in the whole remote work topic, yeah? now we've gone through a really thorough exercise in remote work for a year or even more now. Do you think it's here to stay, not with, that we're moving out of the pandemic? Or do you say, okay, we're going to move back to the old normal as with them before? Mm, so it's interesting yeah, to look at it from that perspective, because what we essentially just said before is that, well, SAP was a distributed company before. 
you are distributed now and you will be after the pandemic as well. The question is, how does it change, right? And what do people want in addition or differently to how things were previously? So I think the future, oh, often there is a saying like, oh, the future of work is remote. And I think that is a little bit, I don't know, too simply put. I think the future of how people will work together will be hybrid, right? It will live in distributed collaboration, but it will also live very much in in-person collaboration and working together. It's incredibly important to come together, you know, and, you know, work on a big project or those kind of things. So we will still have offices, but we'll use them in a different way. And most companies are moving in that direction already. Everyone that we've been working with, um, that we're speaking to, has heard signals from employees that they demand more flexibility, which in, as a result will mean that essentially they'll have to adjust to that and adapt and think about what will my office look like? How can I build a distributed structure? And how can I make the two work together? Because suddenly what will happen is that you have some people that just prefer being at, an, at the office more and others that prefer doing it less, right? Mm -hmm. So right now we actually have a level playing field with everyone sort of having to work from home. Whereas when people can freely choose, you actually add more complexity to it because you'll find that some teams will just be at an office together. There'll be the chit chat, you know, by the coffee machine. There'll be the informal communication. There'll be things discussed over lunch. And then you have people that decide to stay more remote, work from home more, travel, etc. And making sure that even though you have some people that are further away and some people that are in a hub, to have information still flow, to have people have you know, equal chances, equal career opportunities. That's the challenge that companies will face in the future. So to cater to both types of, of co-working um, styles, as you said, right? So preferences, those who prefer, yeah. yeah. To both preferences. And mm, so what's the uh, direction that you see that going? Do you think will be after the pandemic, right? Will those that prefer to stay at home, yeah? will, will those be at a better position as they've been before? Right? Because if you think about um, the trust issue, for example, many um, companies uh, or, or many clients that I talked to said, okay, I don't really uh, know what my employees are up to once they're out of the office more or less, right? So uh, I, I can't really look over their shoulder. I don't really know what they're doing. Do they even show up, right? Um, That is something that could be a detriment to people who prefer to stay at home. Uh, that was the case before, right? So do you see that improving now? Do you see that this is something that, um, yeah, the pandemic has made easier for them? I think it has opened the eyes of a lot of management um, and team leaders to really see that people are productive when they work from home in an incredibly stressful situation, right? Mm -hmm. So thinking about people still being productive when they have to homeschool two children, for example, incredibly, you know, challenging thing to do, but also not sustainable, right? So I think what management also has to understand is that even though, like what they have seen during the pandemic is not really what you can expect long-term in the future, right? Some people were actually worried, you know, that when working from home that, they would become invisible. So they became more productive, more visible in a digital world, right? Which often leads to overworking, mm. to stressing, to not being able to switch off. And that can, you know, go on for so long, but I mean, that's a reason for people to quit, right? So as managers see that people are productive working from home, they also need to understand what can I do to sustain that long-term, right? And I think that tr 
do you say you throw trust in here as oh people don't trust their employees or management doesn't trust um, the people that work for them I think trust is an incredibly complex thing um, to in general in companies to identify the way we define it really is to and the way you can work on trust as a team together is if you look at different components, right? You can look at the level of transparency that you have on the team, right? That's obviously, you know, one of those very obvious factors that's always connected to trust. And you can say, well, are we making work transparent, right? How do we have clear assignments and clear responsibilities? Right? Do I know who is in charge of what, right? That's a very transparent thing. And then also transparency in terms of personal, personal issues, You know, mm. if you have a higher level of trust in a team when someone just doesn't call in sick and you don't really know what's going on, but someone calls in and says like, hey, I have this and like has a chat with you or even feels comfortable sharing that they're not well mentally, right? So thinking about that, I think if you don't have that level of trust, it is actually very hard to work together in a distributed team in general, right? Um, and there's other factors there as well, for sure. Well, that's a nice way of putting it because transparency cuts both ways, right? You want to be, um, managers want to be transparent when it, or want demands transparency yeah, from their employees as to how productive they are, as to what are they working on. But then on the other hand, you also want to be transparent about how am I doing? How am I doing with the situation that I'm in right now towards your managers, for example, in order for them to accommodate you. That's, um, that's an incredible insight here. But How has um, technology reflected that, for example? Have you seen um, technology enhance that sort of information flow back and forth? And how have companies been doing in that regard? Mm, absolutely. So I think they, especially in German companies, I feel like the companies that we work with internationally, they seem to be a little bit more advanced in terms of having digital processes, you know, not to bash Germany here, like, you know, we all know we, <laughs> we're great at doing some things, um, but it definitely has created a big push, not just in terms of general infrastructure, but also, I don't know, think about sales tools, CRMs have had a massive push, right? Like big companies um, building CRMs have seen incredible increases in revenue because a lot of sales teams suddenly had to figure out how do I do sales in a digital world? Right? So I think that definitely has happened. Those you know, different kind of tools, project management tools that have been implemented absolutely help um, companies just see the like, status levels very simply, right? become more outcome oriented, which is a very important thing for remote teams as well. Instead of focusing on hours, focus on what has been achieved. So project management tools help tracking that. Um, yeah, and the clear division of who, who does what and then enables people to become more autonomous in their decision-making. And yeah. I think that is one of those really important elements that when you work in a distributed way, that micromanagement and keeping all the responsibility and power in one person becomes incredibly stressful. So managers that had that pre-pandemic had an incredibly hard time and had to learn to kind of distribute that, to delegate, to make sure that I enable everyone to make decisions and I can trust them to make the right one, right? I can still, you know, see what's going on. It's not that I'm like letting go and there's anarchy going on, for sure not. Like it's definitely about leadership being very good at sharing those responsibilities and then therefore enabling a distributed team much better. Yeah, and certainly, I mean, we from our perspective, of course, have also seen this show up um, that 
customers are asking much more for how can I use technology to collaborate. I mean, that's not only in the area of CRM. Certainly, our colleagues from customer experience have seen this push, definitely. Um, we've also had a lot of demand for yeah, project management tools as well, as you said. Um, what's been interesting to see from a uh, from a sales organization's perspective, yeah, some of our customers in the middle of the lockdown weren't even able able to access their offices properly, and therefore weren't able to sign contracts, for example, yeah, because they were still paper based. So we were asked a lot to um, provide dig digital signatures and and things like these. So so um, yeah, digital signature management was definitely a topic that came up way more over time. So that's yeah, interesting that you also see this pop on your end. Um, you mentioned also something about being more results oriented here. Yeah. So um, that's a management style that is certainly something uh, that's been brought up way more by the pandemic. And do you also see that this is something that will stick or will we also go back to the old ways of just, you know, tracking hours and being measured more by the inputs than uh, by the output that we provide? Mm, I don't think we'll go back. I think the companies that have made progress there, they see the potential that it has, um, but it is very challenging to do it. So simply saying, oh, we're distributed now, we'll become more outcome-based, can be, or we automatically will be more outcome-based um, because we only see, you know, results can also lead to overworking, right? If you don't see, you know, the person that has to put in the hours to get that result done. So mm. actually what we need to work on first is to really make sure that we coach and train our employees to become so proactive that we as managers understand when do they need, you know, support? When am I giving them too much? When am I not giving them enough, right? Because at an office, you kind of assume everyone is working the hours that they're there. But if you go to outcomes, you actually you don't want to overwork someone, right? You don't want to have someone work 80 hours every week, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, you know, we all know in practice, like, of course, every once in a while, you have to, you know, put in a couple of more hours to get the project done. But having that as a permanent thing, first of all, in Germany, it's not legal. So we do have, you know, employee protection going on, like as um, managers and entrepreneurs and um, companies, we have that responsibility to ensure that that doesn't happen, um, which brings sort of back this question of like, does it still make sense to time track people? Right? I'm not sure if you guys have talked about this um, or considered it, um, but it is something that a lot of companies come up with. It's like, well, we work outcome oriented, but we still need to track time to kind of understand how much time do they need to get to the outcome, right? So there's, it's, yeah, it's a bit of a seesaw, right? It can go both ways. You just have to look at both. Just saying, oh, we don't care about hours anymore. We only care about outcomes. That can be also quite dangerous. Yeah, because you you also need to balance, okay, how much are people putting in? And of course, labor law is then, thankfully, I would say, also a good counterweight to, to um, yeah, maybe some managers who tend to look overlook that perspective. Um, and certainly also a factor that has weighed in a lot into the mental health issues that the pandemic has brought about is the topic of Zoom fatigue. Yeah, so that is something that I personally experienced a lot because many of my hours are now spent in the form of half an hour's uh, alignment calls where you just sit and, and talk about 
what's happening and then you can't really get anything done in the meanwhile. Uh, that is something that many people have experienced. Um, is Zoom fatigue, from your perspective, is that something that uh, the pandemic has actually caused? Yeah? Just by the mere fact that we have sheltered in place and, and we haven't been able to go out as much? Um, or is this really... Uh, caused by the technology itself so that I just don't want to stare at a screen anymore and see people uh, as much and where do you see Zoom fatigue going? Is that something that will accompany us for a lot more time or is it uh, is it gonna solve it's itself? A, that's actually a very interesting question. Um, we held a workshop yesterday and my colleague said something really funny. He said, um, well, have you ever heard of Netflix fatigue? Uh, you know, people watch like 10 episodes of a show and yes, your eyes hurt and your brain hurts a little bit, but people do that, right? So it's not yeah. really the screen. Like we all know it's not great to look at a screen for a long period of time. We all know binging Netflix is not fantastic. But, you know, having, you know, back-to-back 30-minute -back um, Zoom calls, video calls, the level of tiredness that you get from those if you do them wrong is another level, right? That's not nothing or like a lot more compared to about 10, watching 10 hours of Netflix. And the reason is it, it lies hidden somewhere in what you said earlier, which was alignment calls, right? <laughs> what is an alignment call? An alignment call is like a status call, right? It's like, okay, we, you know, what are you doing? What am I doing? Like, yeah, like quick sync. Sure, these, every once in a while we need those. I had one just before we got like important calls, but if you have those back to back and you don't get anything done, it's the way we manage work and workflows that is tiring. Right? And mm -hmm. the screen just adds another layer. In an office, like they're just as tiring. Think about it. When you like, you know, just go from meeting to meeting and they're just sort of like sinking here, sinking there, and you don't really get anything done and you get all your work done at the end, you're just as tired. So if you use a Zoom call well and you use them sparingly and you take breaks, it's completely fine. But I agree with you that we need to be mindful of the way we use technology. I really enjoy face-to-face -face communication as well. Like, don't get me wrong, you know, I'm the person who like jets around the world often with her computer and talks to everyone on there, I make sure that I have human interaction that is not in a, on a screen um, dur during from my day. From time to time. Yeah, from every <laughs> once in a while. Every day. I try to do it every day. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, certainly a good tip here. Um, what I kept thinking about Zoom fatigue is that you just keep on jumping so much from one call to the other that um, I think that the brain just needs some time to process what you have heard now and what you've been doing, right? And uh, we lack those times where you go from one meeting to the next and you just have some a period of downtime in your brain and you just process what's what you just talked about, right? And that's something that we just... Are missing right now we don't spend any time on the road and just you know you, you you just wander off with your thoughts that's something that just doesn't happen right now yeah? so that could be also definitely a side effect of the whole thing affecting it them. definitely is we have seen that for sure and we actually um run <laughs> shameless self-plug here we run a workshops for ritual design Right? Because mm -hmm. what you just said is essentially what happens to a lot of teams that are suddenly distributed is often their productivity and efficiency goes up, right? Efficiency goes up, meaning I can now, you know, book three calls in an hour, three sales calls. And before that, I had to like, you know, travel to um, mm -hmm. my client, whatever. And I had like one meeting a day kind of thing. Um, now we're so efficient, right? With our colleagues as well, back-to-back -back meetings, no downtime. And what we... Um, 
want to encourage teams for that reason, but also other reasons, is to implement rituals, right, for context switching. Because we all know that multitasking isn't great, right? It's not great to be in a, an alignment call, if you must have one, and answer your emails parallel, right? Like that really doesn't, you know, do much for you. You really want to be focused on one thing. But in order to snap out of one thing, you can do something very simple, like get up, open a window, make a cup of coffee, you know, go to the bathroom, like little things um, just for you to mentally take a break, exactly as you said, and then even build bigger rituals for an entire team, right? To get focused, get out of focus, start your day, end your day, those kind mm -hmm. of things, building ex workflows, right? And manage those and manage your energy levels. Okay. That's interesting. Um, how do you do those rituals then, for example? I mean, I can see how those work on a, on an individual basis um, for your coworkers, for example. Uh, but how do you do those as a team? Uh, do you have um, check-ins, for example, that cut across time zones? Or, or how do you manage that at AceWork? Mm, absolutely. So what we do, well, we have sort of like a status stand-up um, Mm -hmm. that we do in the morning asynchronously that we just do on Slack, for example, you know, where people can check in. Um, not everyone does it like religiously. We're not super forced on it, but we know that for some people it's more important than for others, right? To have that mental, okay, I'm switching context from, you know, having breakfast with my daughter to starting mm -hmm. to work. And for others, it's not that critical. But for teams, the thing that we've seen also when we run workshops is that to unite a group, right? To make sure that we're all now in the same headspace, you know, we're virtually aligned, we're like, we're ready to work on something. It's very yeah. good to do a quick check-in at the beginning of a meeting, right? Do like one word openers is something that we run sometimes, which is like basically go in a circle and saying one word about how you feel or what your state of mind is right now, right? That could be yeah. like excited, tired, nervous, anxious, like all those things, right? And like that kind of just like tunes you into like, okay, we all kind of know now where everyone stands and now we can focus um some people like have very religiously like a five minute chit chat that they just plan into every meeting just because they don't have other moments when it they can have that informal communication other teams do um more structured informal elements in their week right like we have a coffee chat every thursday mm. that everyone can just freely join and there's no agenda there's we just you know sit and we chat pretty much um but every team has to find what works for them. Like that's why we sort of go in and we ask like, what's wrong with you guys pretty much? Um, um, what's challenging you? And then we see what fits for them. I mean, on a very meta level, that's an extremely exciting thing to watch, right? We're watching new social and cultural norms being implemented around a new way of working and a new way of organizing work. Exactly. Right. Uh, because and that has been essentially enabled by the digital technology of the last 15 years. Imagine what would have happened if the pandemic had struck in 1999. Right? We wouldn't have been able to shelter in place or to, to, to work remotely or we wouldn't have conversations right now about how do you do a remote work, uh, uh, you know, um, how do you check in for your remote sessions? Right. That is something that has now been enabled by the digitalization of the last 15 years, and that's extremely exciting. Um, one more question about technology. I mean, you have now worked a, with a lot of companies on working remotely, right? And 
So after the first year of the pandemic, most businesses have probably worked out the basics. They know, you know, they probably have their SharePoints in place. They, they know how to access the systems remotely and they know how to set up a video call. But um, which tech challenges remain now and where do businesses still struggle? from your perspective. Absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned video calls. It's like, oh, everyone must have figured out video calls. They haven't. <laughs> Some people haven't. Some people don't like them. Some people don't use video. Some people don't mm -hmm. have webcams on an old, you know, company laptop that they brought. Like we worked with large corporations, large corporations. Yeah, you'd think that they'd be, no, forget about it. So yeah, that can still be a challenge. And I'm not like, We're laughing about it now, but of course it's a serious issue because it also has to do with like, what can you spend on equipment for your company, right? Like, yes, we are a small team, you know, if you have mm. to provide things for whatever, 10 people, it's fine for 100 people, maybe still okay. But suddenly you have like 50,000 employees that, you know, maybe only 10% have a proper setup for home. And then it is a significant amount of your money that goes out just to equip everybody, right? So not everyone is immediately able to do that. So that hardware can still be a challenge. I'm, I'm not going to lie. That's, um, that's definitely something that we see. Um, other things that just arise generally with work from home and mobile working, of course, are data security, right? Data security and, um, yeah, just like general GDPR-related issues, um, finding out like what is possible what is not possible. Um, we don't advise on that, by the way. That's not our specialty. We do know companies that do it, um, especially for the long-term future of people working very mobile, right? I mean, that is something that actually has come up. But in reality, like, let's think about it. Like, do you remember being on a plane? Remember being on a plane on a Monday morning on a Thursday <laughs> afternoon? That was it's been full a while. Of <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Uh, full of consultants. You know, remember, like, you know, the the big five, whatever, they sit there on a Monday morning and a Thursday evening. And of course they sit there on their laptops and they work, you know, just think of, I don't know if it was a McKinsey or Boston, doesn't really matter how many presentations I have just been able to glance at that people worked at just across the aisle um, is stunning. Like that was the case pre pandemic. And I think now people, you know, people are getting worried like, Oh, what if they work from home and their child sees whatever, like a paper lying around? I'm like, Sure, like, you know, make sure that that doesn't happen and that everyone has password protection, et cetera, et cetera. But really thinking about, like, you know, what do we want to show in a mobile working world? Because it will become mm -hmm. so much more. Everyone will work everywhere now. That's interesting that this is the... Um The major security challenge that uh, that you have or has popped out on on your end, because I would have thought it's the whole, you know, social engineering and phishing that has increased now. Uh, people calling this guy as the manager or or whatever. Or <laughs> that <laughs> the, I haven't heard that much have, at all. Mm -mm. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Like definitely hack, like general hacking attacks. I think have become more. Um, yeah. But that was something that companies were aware of pre-pandemic as well, right? Mm. Um, I get definitely more emails now saying, okay, careful with, you know, don't open emails that contain this, etc. But like hackers tried that before, you know, and there was always someone in the company who didn't get the memo and just clicked the link anyway. So I think just, yeah, getting better at that now. Um, yeah, not Being sure how, how related it is to distributed work. <laughs> 
Yeah, certainly. I mean, what we have experienced um, definitely is that cloud technology, for example, has has now definitely gained importance. Corporations that were a little bit critical of do they want to go into the cloud? Do they, do they, you know, do they want to use a data center, for example, that isn't their own? They have become much more open to that because they have now seen that it's very important, um, not only in a scenario like the past year, but now increasingly going forward to be able to access remotely and to have all this, uh, the, you know, the adjacent user management and all that handled by someone else who's not your own IT, for example. Eh? So that is really something that um, uh, has convinced many to, to also go to the cloud. Mm. And um, we see that moving in that direction, especially also connected to, to all the topics that you mentioned before, right? You want to organize your team. You want to organize uh, the data that you share across team being outside of an office, for example. And yeah. Cloud certainly helps in that regard. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. Um, I can't think of like a company that's consciously with the pandemic switched to the cloud, um, but obviously with all the additional just digitization tools and you know things that they started to implement. And the question comes up of like, who do I allow to see what? Right, like mm -hmm. thinking really thinking about like information architecture and information. Um, access, right? In a large organization, like what levels do I define for whom to access which level of, you know, you know, my financial reports, my, yeah. Is that something everyone can see transparently? Probably not. Um, but you still need to make sure that everyone who needs access to a specific thing does have that access. So I think that's one of those big challenges that companies have at the moment as well. It's just to figure that out. And in relation to that, when we wanted to like plug in the future of work there a little bit, is also who works on projects, right? It's, yes, of course, it's your full-time employees, but it's also your freelancers, your contractors, you know, those people that temporarily come in. How much access can and do you want to give them, right? How can you set mm. them up and plug them into your infrastructure easily? They are often remote, like freelancers are, you know, mm. now even more demanding to be remote. Um, how do you plug them in that they have the access that they need, but still keep your information safe, right? I think that's where definitely big, tech challenges lie. Okay. Well, Angelina, um, thank you very much. I, is there anything I should have asked but didn't? Um, tough to say. I mean, I can talk about many different things. It's more like what you want to hear. But <laughs> for anyone who's obviously curious and hearing about more topics that you know I speak about, um, there's always um, the... Digital Compact podcast for German speakers. There's a couple of English episodes there as well. Um, virtual meetings is one of those big topics, remote leadership um, that we talk about. Um, and of course, people can always reach out to me directly as well. Um, I'm sure you can plug in my LinkedIn somewhere um, that people know where to find me. We'll definitely do that. So LinkedIn is also the best place to reach you, I assume. Absolutely, but please, please mention in your connection request that you heard this podcast um, and why you reach out. Because there are bots out there, I'm just gonna say. <laughs> so if I, I don't accept everybody. Be. So like a personal message definitely helps. <laughs> great, great, great. Angelina, thank you very much. Perfect, thank you, Victor.